now we're going to be looking at Colossians, a little tiny book back in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I was talking to one of the men in our congregation uh, some time ago, a month or two ago, and you ever hear yourself say something and you think, wow, that, that was pretty good. <laughs> you ever hear that come out of your mouth, something you didn't expect, and you... Well, that happens to me uh, a lot because nearly I never n- really know what I'm doing. And so I, when, something, when something decent shows up just like that, I'm just like, hallelujah, how did that happen? Grace of God. <laughs> and uh, so w- when that happened, um, I heard myself say the thing in the middle. And when I, when I did, I, I, I felt like the Lord was saying to me that that was uh, going to be a a sermon title, something I needed to give some, to con- some consideration to um, further and uh, sharing with you. So that's what we're doing today as we concluded our uh, series of messages leading up to Easter last week. I felt this would be a good time to, to venture into this with you. And we're going to read two verses out of Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. Here we go. And you... Being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. I don't think there's anyone in the room this morning that would really struggle with what verse 13 is talking about there. I think most of us understand that we, by reason of being um, descendants of Adam and Eve, are sinners. That's what trespasses means there, that we, we are sinners, we have sinned, and that our sin has separated us from the life of God. And so when it says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, we go, yeah, well, I understand that. It says that we are uh, the uncircumcised, uncircumcised of the flesh, which means that more than we, we want to be and uh, sometimes hesitate to admit, the desires of our flesh rule our lives. That, that, those desires have not been uh, cut away or had not been cut away or removed. And so it says... Uh, You being dead in your trespasses or cut off from the life of God because of your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, here comes the good news. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. That would be a good place to say something. Amen. Amen or hallelujah or man, that's good. Something like that, right? Last week on Easter when we talked about our risen Lord and what he had accomplished for us and paying the penalty for our sin and defeating death on our behalf, we talked a lot about this. And so I don't think that verse 13 is um, as, as magnificent and as wonderful as this is. I don't think it's shocking news to anyone here this morning. We pretty much get that we have a God in heaven who has saved us. When we come to that point of faith where we cross from doubt into faith and receive this gift of God's salvation, we are the beneficiaries of this life that he gives to us and the forgiveness of sins. And I think most of us, we, we know that even, it, you know, I think most people understand if they believe there's a God, that God loves us. God loves us. In fact, I think most of us would be happy to say and truthfully could say, God loves me. Um, but what we're not sure of is whether God likes us much. Do you have anybody in your life that you love but don't like so much? 
You'd, you'd lay your life down for them. You'd die for them, but you don't want to have dinner with them. <laughs> right? And we imagine, because that's where we're coming from, we imagine that God is like that. Sure, he loves me. He loves the world. John 3.16 says that. God loves the world, and that's why Jesus came. Sure, he loves me because I'm in the world. God loves the world. I got wrapped up in that. Hallelujah. I'm grateful for it. But I'm not so sure that God really has much favor towards me. But God really likes spending time with me. He gets really excited when he hears my name. I'm not so sure about that. I think what I'm saying in those words are representative of a lot of us in the room this morning that we know, most of us get it, that God loves us and we're happy for it, but we're not quite sure whether he likes us very much, whether we have his favor. And that's what verse 14 addresses. And so we're, we're good with verse, 15, uh, verse 13, but verse 14 here, I want to just ask you to consider in a little different light. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The literal meaning of that word, you know, handwriting, the, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, the literal meaning of that is what one has written with one's own hand. I suppose you could have figured that out. What one has written with one's own hand. In other words, this, I, I have honestly, I've read this verse I don't know how many times in my life, and I've always thought of this handwriting as an, a, mass, uh, or a mass of um, uh, accusations that the enemy, the devil, has written about me. But this, what this word really means is what I have written in my own hand. And in the context, this phrase me is really about a debt certificate. I have penned in my own hand a debt certificate. Well, what's that? Well, it's like if Arnie comes to me and he says, he says, Randy, can I borrow 50 bucks? Which happens on occasion. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so Arnie comes to me and says, Randy, can, you, can I borrow 50 bucks? And I say, well, sure, anytime. <laughs> and, uh, and then he, not me, he reaches into his pocket, pulls out a pad of paper and a pen and writes, I owe you $50 and hands it to me. He has handwritten a debt certificate to me. This is what I owe you. This, was what, this is what stands unsettled between you and me. I owe you. This is the thing in the middle. And I know I'm speaking for, for Arnie and all of us who are in that situation. We know that we're never going to feel your favor fully until this debt is settled, until this is removed, until this is taken out of the way, because the thing in the middle hinders my relationship with you. This stuff that is in the middle between me and my being able to just be at rest in the favor of God is stuff I have written. God isn't doing it. I'm writing this. this is what I have written in my own hand of what I owe him. 
We have such a hard time with grace. That's why for the, you know, the last uh, four months, since the first of the year in our microchurches, I've asked our, our leaders to take us through a study of first the book of Romans where we've talked about the difference between grace and law. And now we're specifically focused in on, on the subject of grace and it's a little redundant, I know, but it's so hard for us to grasp what grace is that we just got to keep coming at it and at it and at it. We don't get it because we live in a, we, we, our whole lives we have been shaped by a culture of merit. We earn it. And here's the, the really tricky thing is we've been taught that if we don't earn it, it doesn't mean anything. It's not valuable. If I don't fork over the hundred bucks for that thing, it's, you know, somebody just hands it to me. It's not, it's worthless. It doesn't matter. Isn't that true? If I don't have some skin in the game, if I don't have some cash on the line, it's not really that important. Because we have, in every way we've been taught this. In school, you want to do well, you have to do something. You have to get good grades. And you merit advancement. On your job, if you're going to do better, that means that you've got to fulfill your, the expectations of your employer. There's merit. I, I, if I get, in fact, we call them merit increases. If I'm going to get a, 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 a raise on the job, I've, I've had to earn it. Sadly, even in our families, because parents really aren't sure how to motivate their kids, they withhold favor as in an attempt to motivate them. If you'll, you know, if you'll do well in school, you'll do your chores or whatever, I will I'll show favor to you. If not, I have to withhold that to motivate you to want to do better, right? Everywhere we turn, we are saturated with this model of merit that I have to earn it. So when God says you can't earn it, there's not enough of anything you could ever do to solve the problem of sin. I'm covering it on your behalf. Jesus went to the cross. Sorry about this. Jesus went to the cross and he said, I'm paying the price. I'm earning the grace of God for you. That's a concept we just, we can theologically get it and we can even say the right words. We can pray the right prayers. But when it comes down to it, we have trouble living there. We think, yeah, okay. But surely I, I've got to do something or be something different or better so that God will be happier with me. I, I, I must do something. No. This conversation that I said earlier, uh, or to, uh, referred to earlier about where the title of this message came from, this conversation was with a guy, uh, we were talking about whether he should buy a car or not, a certain kind of car. And I, at my first thought was, um, why is this such a big deal? Buy the car or don't buy the car? And 
you know, I wasn't, I, I've, I've been doing this uh, a long time, so I know how to not be so blunt with people, right? <laughs> but as we dove deeper, what we discovered was he was afraid he'd make the wrong choice, and in doing so, displease God. Now, I understand that. When Sue and I, when we bought the house we live in now, I was sick, literally sick for days wrestling with that. I mean, it's a lot of money and on and on. And, just God, and, and here's the thing. It wasn't just I was trying to, I was trying to make the right decision for you know, the, the sake of our personal finances. I wanted to do the right thing for God. I wanted God's will. And I... And although I didn't say it, what I felt was if I made the wrong choice here, I would not have God's favor. His favor wouldn't be on me. Anybody here, and you can raise your hand, anybody here ever faced that kind of situation? That fear? I'm gonna, that something could be, I could do something or not do something. I could cause there to be something in the middle between me and the favor of God. That man I was talking with, I, I ended up saying to him, buy the car, don't buy the car, you still have the favor of God. Mm-hmm. Buy a Chevy, buy a Volkswagen, you still have the, the favor of God. He loves you. He likes you a lot. Now that doesn't mean that we just carry on life as though we don't care what God thinks. But it means I don't have to live in fear. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, my, God, you know my heart. So yeah, I'll screw up once in a while. I'll make the wrong decision. But you'll still love me. You're still, still going to like me. You're still going to want to have dinner with me. And that's what is being talked about and addressed in this passage. Those things, those certificates of debt that I have composed and imposed... Because God isn't doing it. I have imposed them on my relationship with him. And I think that these certificates of debt kind of come down to really three categories of stuff. And what I'd like to do is just to get your mind thinking about your specific situation and what today might be in the middle between you and the favor of God, what you may have placed in the middle between you and the favor of God. And so, you know, you may not relate to some of these. Maybe you will, but I just want to get the, the juices flowing, so to speak. And I think one of the main categories of these things that end up finding their way in the middle between me and how I perceive the favor of God towards me is, and by the way, they all begin with, I need it too, Right? All these things, I need to. It's something I have to do. I owe a debt, and I need to pay it in some way. So number one is I need to stop, and you fill in the blank. I need to stop. I need to stop making bad decisions. I need to stop overeating. I need to stop drinking so much. I need to stop looking at pornography. I need to stop lusting. I need to stop worrying so much. I need to stop working so much. I need to stop trying to be someone else. You fill in the blank. And if I could just stop, then I could experience the favor of God. 
That thing is in the middle. I need to stop it. Right? Another one of the categories of these things is I need to be a better. And this goes to the heart of our identity and who we are. I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better father. I need to be a better son. I need to be a better friend. I need to be a better employer or employee. I need to be a better neighbor. I need to be a better citizen. You fill in the blank. I need to be a better. And if I could just be a better husband to my dear wife, I might experience the favor of God. The third category of these things in my mind is I need to do more and you fill in the blank. I need to do more. I need to stop. I need to be a better. I need to do more praying. If I could just pray more, then surely God would, would like me better. I need to do more praying. I need to do more Bible reading. I need to do more worshiping. I need to do more serving in church. I need to do more evangelizing. You fill in the blank, and you know what it is, and only you do. If I could just do that, if I could just log more time on my, on my knees before God, you know, then maybe he'd like me better. But what does it say here? having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. In God's mind and heart, there's nothing in the middle. The cross bridged that gap. <laughs> you know, we had a, a middle school all-nighter here Friday night, yeah. and... <laughs> I really, except to just ask briefly how it went, I really haven't talked to Chris much about the details because, frankly, I don't want to know. I don't want to know what happened here. <laughs> you know, it's like they say, what, they happened at the 12 hour, what happens at the 12-hour blitz stays in the 12-hour <laughs> blitz. But, and even though there's a lot of people that kind of helped to, you know, unbury the, the, the debris and stuff afterwards... I was doing some of that last night, and one of the things I was doing was erasing all the whiteboards because middle school girls, I don't know, you put a... <laughs> they... It's like a magnet. Oh, pen, whiteboard. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and they're, they're quite creative. Uh, but anyway, so I was, I was wiping all these down, and I could just yeah. picture... He has wiped out the handwriting of requirements against me. He's wiped it out. I keep trying to hand him the IOU and he keeps wiping it, erasing it clean. I keep handing it back to him though. Dear ones, we have got to stop that because, listen, it isn't good to be drinking so much. It isn't good to be worrying so much. You do need to be a better husband and father. We do need to pray more and read the Bible more. But those things will never happen. They will never, hear me, they will never happen as a result of me trying to fulfill an IOU. Never. 
when that's gone and I understand the favor of God is something I have and don't have to earn, that's when I fall to my knees and pray. That's when I open the word and read it. That's when I, I treasure my wife that God has given me. That's when I, you, you get the picture. This is recording number 11102 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, April 27, 2014. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Thing in the Middle.